Terry Fader became a household name in 2007 when he won season two of America's Got Talent with his unique brand of entertainment that combines singing, comedy, and unparalleled celebrity impressions. After 25 years of honing his skills at county fairs and venues across the country, the Dallas-bred entertainer's big AGT win at age 42 catapulted him into the upper echelon of entertainers, landing him at number three in the Forbes list of the top-earning comics behind Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Hart in 2005. Uh, I would imagine that um, it was uh, Kramer that was at number three, and you knocked him out, right? <laughs> What's that guy's name again? I forgot his name. Michael... Uh... Michael Richards. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he used the same words as he does, so that's probably why you <laughs> stayed up there. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't use any profanity at all in my show. I'm I'm very uh, I, I'm very uh, family friendly, but it's not like a it's not like a squeaky clean show. I mean, you know, I, I do tell some some adult stuff, but it's all it's all very mild. Nothing. Yeah. I, I kind of tap that's on the line a little bit. Yeah. No, actually, I love the line you're on. I was watching. I was creeping on you uh, yesterday while I was doing the research, and I saw some gigs, some stuff, some material. And dude, you're on that line, and I love it. Well done. Well done. Because if if you were squeaky clean. You know, it just makes it <laughs> well, hurl. There's a place for that. There's a place for that. But, you know, I am in Vegas. And the thing is, you know, my rule for that is if I'm going to tell a joke that is really more for the adults, it has to have a clean explanation for the kids. Yeah. And that way, if a kid, you know, if a six-year-old says, uh, Mommy, what does that mean? You can you can give them a clean explanation. And then the jokes, you know, the jokes just stays with us adults. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I stopped your bio. I got to keep reading. Um, hey, this whole uh, thing is largely due to his multi-million dollar deal with the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, where his award-winning show, the Ter- uh, Terry Fader, the voice of entertainment has been running since 2009 with a cast of characters, including Winston, the impersonating turtle, Emma Taylor, the little girl with the big voice, uh, Maynard Tompkins, the Elvis impersonator, uh, Doogie Scott, Doogie, Doogie Scott Doug. Walker. No, no, it's Doogie, man. Come on. It's uh, the annoying neighbor and, of course, many others. And uh, Terry Fader has been uh, raking in awards, accolades, and industry admiration ever since. Within the last year, if I understand, if I've got my details accurate here, uh, you've released, uh, let's see, you've got this DVD, Terry Fader Live in Concert, a country music CD. It starts tonight, as well as a series of children's books, including Lamu. Mm-hmm. Lamu, the Christmas kitten. Terry, by the way, will be back at Casino Rama Friday, June twenty third, nine o'clock. Uh, Friday, June twenty third, at nine o'clock at Casino Rama. The website there is casinorama dot com and terryfader dot com. Okay, get all that crap out of the way, dude. How are you? I'm great. I couldn't be better. In fact, living really? the dream. Really, living the dream. Really, truly. And it's funny. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I met the love of my life uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I, you know, it was something that. I will, I've always been a very happy person. You know, I've, I've had a lot of uh, trials and tribulations in my life. But in spite of all that, I, I really like to look on the bright side of things. And I, you know, for me, the cup is always half full. And uh, I just never realized I wasn't happy inside as well as outside until I met this woman. And now it's like, oh, that's what it feels like to be happy all over. <laughs> it's amazing the difference, <clears throat> excuse me, the difference a woman makes, that's for sure. Oh, man. Uh, hey, when was the last time you had your face carved in a watermelon? <laughs> it was actually a few months ago. I, I went to, I don't remember which show it was, but they actually had my face in a watermelon. It was super cool. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Just I ridiculous. know. <laughs> uh, and what's even, I don't know if this is worser or that's a real word, by the way, uh, or, or just up there with the watermelon. Uh, your face is on a Spider-Man poster. Really? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. My, my band actually, 
uh, one of the, my band members was uh, good friends with an actual Marvel artist uh, who has, by the way, since passed away, the, the artist, but uh, they hired him to draw me as Spider-Man, and it's hanging in my dressing room. It's so, freaking so, amazing. So it's cool, real cool. Man. It is cool. So, okay, the old Spider-Man television show, right? The the cheesy, um, you know, same background floating by shots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you remember the uh, the um, how the theme song goes? I mean, I just want to know if you know that. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a Spider-Man can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Nice. Very yes, well I- done. <laughs> Very well done. Okay, so 10 years since you won America's Got Talent. Um, are you now a stuck-up elitist, you know, celebrity jerk? I always was. No, I'm kidding. No, I... <laughs> uh, you know, my theory... No, I, I'm exactly the same person I was before. And my theory is this. If somebody changes and becomes a jerk, you know, they weren't a jerk before they got famous... I have a, I have this theory that it was because they were always a jerk. They just couldn't afford to show it. Yeah. And then they became rich and famous, and and then their real character came out. I don't think uh, money and and fame changes you. So if you're a nice person and if, you know in your at your core, uh, money and fame isn't going to change you. And the, the, one of the oddest things about it is, I always thought you know before America's Got Talent, I always thought that if I became famous, that it would always, I would always be aware that I was famous. So everywhere I went, I would be aware of the fact that people recognize me. That is so not true. I live in my own little world and I totally forget that people might know who I am until somebody says my name. Yeah. Well, it's really occurrence, but it's, uh, but I still, I don't wear it on my sleeve. The fact that I'm that, you know, that I want America's got talent. I'm famous. And it, let me put it this way. It doesn't define me. It's not who I am. It's what I do. So I love that story you tell where some lady, I can't remember who it was, came up to you and said, oh, you know, I've been dying to meet someone famous. And, uh, and, you know, it finally happened. And you went, oh, cool. Who'd you meet? (laughs) Yes. And I was genuine. I really didn't know who she was talking about because I was hoping maybe I'd get a, I'd be able to catch a glimpse of him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, so look, here's here's the thing that I'm kind of, I'm trying to get the, I hate this camera stuff, man. I, this is why I do radio, because I'm worried about my glasses reflecting boogers up my nose, <laughs> plaque in my teeth, I don't know, whatever. Um, uh, of all the celebrities you've met, who were you the goofiest with? Oh, without a doubt, Jack Black. Uh, you know, it's weird, I'm such a Jack Black fan, and I've met a lot of celebrities. I mean, you know, Mel Gibson came to my show. I've met Adam Sandler. Ray Romano plays my theater. So does Jay Leno. And, and I mean, believe me, it's always amazing when I meet these people. But I, I, I just ha- have such an admiration for Jack Black. I think he's hilarious. Mm. And, and, um, and I just became a complete goofball when I saw him. And I, I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> I yelled his name out in a, in a theater. And I was so excited to see him. And he just kind of looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> That's funny, man. I could just totally see you. Jack Black! Jack! I did. I was like, Arms Jack! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, mm, that's you know. really awkward right there. Um, it was awkward. How, how cool was that day, though, where you went somewhere? It was I don't know if it was backstage or where. Some soiree. You met Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Conan oh. O'Brien. The same, the same deal. That was incredible. And the weirdest part of that was, I, you know, I, I was... I was with my wife and I kept telling her, I said, I don't feel like I belong here. And she kept saying, you actually do belong here. You know, you're a celebrity. So I, I went up and I, and I met, you know, I got pictures and then I met Conan and I stuck my hand out and I said, hi Conan, I'm Terry. 
And he goes, I know who you are. I see your face every all over town. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's just so weird. <laughs> I still can't get over that, that I meet a celebrity and they know who I am. You know, it's, I mean, you know, um, uh, Shirley from Laverne and Shirley, uh, I, I, I went to, I met her and she said, oh my God, we watched you and we were, we were screaming when you won. And I'm like, you, her and Michael McKeon. And I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so weird. It really is weird. Well, okay, so I'm thinking back over – I'm sorry. Do you mind if we talk about me just for a second? Is that okay? Go ahead. Uh, growing up, Johnny Carson, huge influence. Huge, huge, huge influence. Me I too. mean, just the whole – it doesn't need to be about me thing that, that you know, he was all about and that subtle little, you know, facial thing that he could do. He could just drop his face, you know, and the, and the room would go nuts, right? So true. Um, any childhood heroes for you? Oh, anyone who was a entertainer uh, back in my in my youth, you know, I was born in 65. Um, and so, you know, in the early 70s, I mean, Tim Conway, uh, Don Rickles, uh, Dick Van Dyke, huge influence, Mel Brooks, yeah. um, Carol Burnett, Mary Tyler Moore, Harvey Corman. You know, these are these are the people that I just uh, admired. And of course, Johnny Carson. In fact, uh, that's how I practiced. I started when I was 10. And I used to sit in front of a mirror and pretend I was I was a Johnny Carson type care type person, and that all my puppets were guests on my talk show, uh, and I it made it helped me to feel like they were real. So it, it was able to it was I was able to create that illusion that I was speaking with a real uh, entity or a real person uh, when I would do that. So That's that really cool. helped a lot. That's cool. That's real cool. I'm thinking. Uh... I'm thinking back to all those people you just listed there. We've had a couple of them on the show. I, I, I think one of my, you know, I get asked all the time, who have you interviewed that was, you know, really amazing for you? Tim Conway was just crazy great for me to be able to spend the time with him and, and uh, meet him. And, uh, and and his Harvey Corman stories are just ridiculous. Uh, I he, know. You know. He says, he says, he has all these stories about Harvey Corman being a complete naive goofball, right? Uh, <laughs> just in, anyway, sorry. Let's keep the interview about you. Um, no, it's okay. I love it. And, and that's, you know, my dream is to have those people that influenced me see my show and, and tell me that, it, you know, that, uh, that they loved it. And, you know, I went, uh, Jerry Lewis came to my show. And wow. after the show, uh, you know, of course, he was a big influence on me as well, you know, the comedians. And, and uh, after the show, he, he, um, he came up to me, stuck his hand out, he took my hand, and he said, you, sir, are a genius. And I went, it wow. doesn't get better than that, no. you know? When Jerry Lewis tells you you're a genius, you're like, okay, I've arrived, you know? <laughs> yeah. But how many drinks had he had? I mean, seriously. <laughs> um, okay, so if you had made the big time when you were in your 20s, what would yeah. you be like now, do you think? It's hard to say because, uh, you know, I, I, I tend uh, to be – I tend to be very self-centered, um, and, and I, when I, especially when I was younger. And so I think the older I got, the more I realized that the world doesn't revolve around me. Right. That you know, And when you're young, you think it does, because it, it obviously does. You know, your world revolves around you. And so I think a lot, there's a trap in that. Now, I think I st would still be a nice person, because I, I, have, a, I, I'm a, I have a nice heart. You know, I, I have a compassionate heart. You know, my wife and I were watching America's Got Talent just this morning. We were kind of watching the reruns from last week, bawling our eyes out at all the at all the cute stories and the sad stories that are that are now stories of triumph. You know, so I have a very uh, I always have had a compassionate heart, but I, but it's really hard, man, when you're 20 in your 20s and all of a sudden everyone in the world is telling you you're amazing. It's really hard not to get, get focused on yourself and become self-centered. 
So I'm very grateful that it happened when I was 42 because I I had already reached that point where I realized the world is th- does not revolve around me, that every person I meet is just as important as I am. Mm. And, you know, the person who cleans my theater is just as important as me because otherwise people would be sitting in a dirty theater, you know. So uh, I don't I don't uh, feel like that I'm all that. I feel like that, you know. I do something that's unique and different and people uh, pay good money to see it. And I appreciate that very, very much. But I don't feel that I'm any more important than anybody else because of that. So, yeah. yeah. And you got I mean, seriously, you got to have a clean theater. Otherwise, Pee Wee Herman shows up. You know. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. Um, <laughs> Actually. Oh, man. Um, OK, if you were to play a practical joke on Jeff Ahmed, whose last name shall not be mentioned, <laughs> what would you do? Would you like set one of his dudes on fire? His puppets? No, or I'll something? tell you. I think the practical joke I would play on him is I would tell some people to go up to him and say, "Aren't you Terry Fader?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I would. would... Get, I would get a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, and he would not at all. Yeah. yeah. No comment. Dude, I, I just oh sorry, I keep calling you dude, uh, Terry. Um, I just watched the, um, uh, the human share puppet routine. That mm-hmm. is, I mean, that's brilliant. How long have you been doing that? Sorry, I don't know all of your act, but how long have you been doing that? No, I've been doing that forever. <laughs> I was doing that uh, long before, years before America's Got Talent. And I used to play schools. And what I would do is I would uh, find out if the principal was a, a man, it has to be a man. And I realized with all this transgender nonsense that people are like, well, oh, okay, you know, it, man. And uh, because it's way funnier when you put a dress on a man, you know, uh, not and if if the principal was not a man, I would ask for the most popular male teacher in the school that all the kids loved. And then I would pull them on stage and I would turn them into share and I would have them. And I mean, it would bring the place. They would people were going all the kids were going crazy. And um, almost all of them had a very good sense of humor about it and were okay with it because I didn't, I didn't ever do anything. I'm not a mean person, you know, so I don't do mean humor where I, where I, I do anything that might hurt somebody's feelings. You know, I, it, it doesn't matter who they are. I'm not, I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want to have fun, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Um, okay, not to get all uh, uh, Cliff Clavin on you here, but who is the first ventriloquist ever? Uh, well, it's a little known fact that the... Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, it goes back thousands of years, actually. Um, a lot of the people are, uh, I mean, a lot of f- people feel that there was, in, in the Old Testament, uh, I think it's the Witch of Endor, actually. I think that's her name, uh, yeah, although the- I may be mixing my Star Wars references. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. There was a Witch of Endor. I just don't know how it ties in with ventriloquism. Yeah, she, she was a witch. I believe that she was called the Witch of Endor, and Saul, the king of Israel, went to see her, and she... Um, uh, they a lot of the legends say that she was a ventriloquist and she would have people speaking from the dead using ventriloquism. Uh, it was also something. Now uh, w- it shocked her when I believe one of one of uh, uh, the actual ancestors actually did appear, yeah. and it shocked her just as much as it did Saul. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a well known fact that a lot of the priests. Uh, for thousands of years, used ventriloquism to control people. They would actually make it look like the god, uh, the the stone god was talking. So it's been very uh, something that's been used for for thousands of years. And then uh, over a hundred years ago, a guy I don't remember his name, but a guy uh, took a nutcracker that you know the the one of the little nutcrackers that has the mouth that moves, yeah. and he started to make it talk for the kids. 
and that he was the first person that we know of that used ventriloquism as an entertainment uh, uh, source. And then from that, people started making other things talk. And so it's been around for a very, very long time. So I just heard you say that they used to use ventriloquism uh, to control the people. Did I hear you say that? They did, yes. And, and it's going on today in the White House. So that's <laughs> fascinating. That's true. Kidding. Come on. Trump, Trump humor is just low-hanging fruit, right? It's just, it's there. <laughs> Any president's low-hanging fruit, right? It really right? is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you started to, I'm, I don't want to go through the whole history thing, because your history thing is just out there all over the place, but there's a couple things I want to hit on. Uh, you started being a ventriloquist when you were 10, um, and that brings me to, I think, which is uh, the question I really want to ask is, did you get beat up a lot as a kid? No, and the reason is, I was funny. Uh, comedy, boy, humor, humor diffuses a lot. And I found very early on, I was, I was the guy that should get beat up because we were over the top, crazy religious. I was always talking about God. He used to carry a big Bible to school with me. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was a prime target. But the thing is, is that I found that self-deprecating humor goes a long way. So someone would call me a name. I would, uh, I would start making jokes about me being that whatever it was they called me, you know? Um, and then, uh, once you get people laughing, it's amazing how quickly you can diffuse a, a situation that in a normal situation would you have to, you know, go home with a bloody nose. But I've never been in a fight ever because I, I could always make people laugh. So. Yeah. That's the exact same story as, uh, well, that I have, you know, I was the weird kid that grew up in a funeral home and, uh, I just diffused. I mean, I remember watching the bullies. I could stand in the middle of the school and look at both doors on either end of the school and figure out where the bully was. And I'd bolt out the other door. Right. And then, oh, yeah. Well, that was another thing. I was fast. Nice. So if, if, if there was ever a situation, I could run faster than everybody else. So I would take off. Yeah. I never I was never one who I never wanted to feel, find out what it felt like to get my face pounded in. No, so. no. Well, I mean, uh, you know, even playing hockey, I didn't want that feeling. I don't want that. Um, no. Hey, uh, do you want to uh, just spend a moment and out your bully right now? Do you want to out your bully? <laughs> You know, the funny thing is I don't remember any – I don't remember any other names. And the funny – I've seen – you know, you've seen those Jerry Springers where, like, they'll go on and it's, like, 40 years later. They're like, well, come on, knock it. I'm like, whoa, that's – oh, that must have really, really made an impact on that person because, uh, you know, there were bullies and they, there were people that made fun of me and there were people that called me names. And I, it just didn't – you know, it, it was uh, like water off a duck's back to me because I just, you know, I never internalized any of it, so – Okay, let's talk about you, – you dropped two things on me here. You talked about your dad, and you talked about the religious stuff. So <laughs> this is our Father's Day special. Um, and I think that a, there's a lot of people who whose view of God is screwed up because of what kind of earthly dad they had. Would, yeah. would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah, I do. And, and I, I, another thing is they're screwed up uh, – their viewpoint toward God is screwed up because of a pastor or someone who is representative of – they think is representative of God. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, um, you have this ultra. Can we use the word narcissistic? Is that allowed? Oh, yeah. oh, that's a perfect word for him. Yes. Okay. So you have this ultra narcissistic father who probably his he has the love language of control. Yes. And uh, and then there's the God stuff in the family, which a lot of control people actually tend to use. Uh, they yes. they actually turn into pastors. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, I said pastors, not bastards, okay? I just want to be clear on that. 
No, I've got a good story. I was golfing in Scotland, and I, I was a pastor at the time, and I said to the guy, take it easy. Like, he was going to charge me because there was no rate for the clubs. I said, take it easy on me, will you? I'm a pastor before you charge me. And I came back from the round of golf. I said, how much? He said, don't worry about it. I said, no, no, you got to make a living. How much? He said, look, anyone that comes in here and calls himself a bastard, free clubs. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. I like the accent, too. Right. It's brilliant. Dead set. <laughs> um, okay. So your dad passed away not too long ago. How many years ago? Yes. I believe it was three years ago. Did you go to the funeral? Uh, no. No. Do you feel like a jerk for not going to the funeral? Absolutely not. No. I, I was done with him long before that. So it was, you know, and the saddest part was I, I, I did feel sadness when I found out that he had, um, and he committed suicide. Oh. I always knew he was going to one day because he, he hated being alive. Um, so I knew it would happen. I'd get the call. And the, the funny thing is I didn't expect to feel sadness, but I, I felt sadness not for him. I felt sadness because I felt it was a waste of a life yeah. that he could have. Anyone can be anything they want. And the most, the thing we should all aspire to be is good, good people, you know, and he never, he never accomplished that. He was just, uh, he was just a jerk. He was and he was, you know, I like to say he was, he was the kind of person so narcissistic that he would say, how could you possibly be hungry? I just ate, you know, and he was that guy, you know, he literally thought that every person in the world felt exactly what he did and had no concept that there were other people with other thoughts, feelings and, and dreams and goals, you know. <clears throat> whose life do you think he negatively impacted the most yours uh, no I think uh, he didn't negative, uh, negatively impact my life at all uh, unfortunately my father was the kind of person who left a wake of destruction like a tornado uh, everywhere he went you know he hurt people um, I, I don't want to go into details but he was a very bad person you know um, tried to do it to me but I wouldn't you know I was too rebellious and he hated that he hated that I was rebellious he said he told me one time he was gonna break me like a bad horse and he never could I wouldn't let him you know I just I, I, no matter how much he beat me no matter how much what he did to me I would not I would not give in I gave in outwardly but uh, never inwardly you know inwardly I said I'm my own human being you're not you're never you're not gonna control me and that's really what it was Terry was he the one that's that sold you God that sold you Jesus like did you did you buy into the God stuff because you grew up with his Jesus no, that's the odd thing is that I kind of had it, you know, um, my mom used to tell me stories about how when I was like two and three years old, I would stick my head out the window and say, do you know Jesus to people, random strangers at a, at a, at a gas station or something? I always had a very passionate love for God and for Christ uh, that had nothing to do with my dad. It was just me. It was internally in me. Um, so therefore, I was able to separate his evil and his and, – and he did control me through – his religion and the way he did it was he raised me to believe that uh, the commandment that says honor your father and mother that if I ever disobeyed him even no matter how old I got that I was going to suffer uh, eternal damnation and fire and and you know I would have to go to hell. So uh, it literally got to a point where I had to say to him, you know what? I'd rather spend an eternity in hell than live one more day under you. You are such a jerk. I told him I said you are such a horrible human being that if God is the rep if you're the one who represents God I don't want to be any anywhere near that God. And uh, and then I was able shortly after I tried to become an atheist for about five minutes, but I just loved God too much and I couldn't. And I said, I said, you know what? I, I just told God, I said, God, look, I, I don't believe that that you would have a horrible man like my father as your representative. So I'm going to follow you as the loving father that I never did have and let you be my father. 
and I and I never did really lose that love for God or Christ. You know. Wow. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned being an atheist for five minutes. Uh, I had Penn Gillette on the show a few years ago, and uh, he's an interesting guy. I really enjoyed my conversation with him, and I, I just thought it'd be interesting for you guys to have you know a couple of I don't know if you drink, but a couple of drinks at the bar. I don't even know if he drinks. Anyway, if you he just got it, together yeah. and talked about the God stuff, you know, it would be yeah. fascinating. Or yeah, not. and with me, it's it's not, uh, and this is something that might be offensive to some people. But to be really honest with you, I don't care if it's true. I don't care if Christ never existed. It doesn't matter. It works for me. I believe with all my heart that He did, and I believe that He died for my sins, and that I have eternal salvation through Him. But if it turns out not to be true, it doesn't make any difference to me. I don't care. I'm, I believe it, and I love it. It makes me a better person. It makes my life better because of it. So therefore. Uh, it's a win-win for me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So basically, you're a walking Pascal's wager. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, go on the Google, kids, and uh, look that one up. <laughs> um, okay. Aside from the first ventriloquist uh, who came to your church when you were a kid and and uh, taught you about uh, the tear tear rattles, the tear rattles of the Jesus. Rattles. Yes. Wow, you did your research. <laughs> That's true. To rattles, yeah. To rattles, because man, when that happened, I was probably five, and I had I had no aspirations to be a ventriloquist. Maybe I was four. I was young, but I remember thinking, "What is a to rattle?" I couldn't figure out. And they kept making jokes about, "Oh, I like tutti frutti," and I'm thinking, "What is?" It? So in my mind, I'm, I, it made no sense. So I didn't laugh. All the other kids were laughing. Because they thought, I guess they thought the word tutti frutti was funny, but it wasn't funny to me because I was trying to figure out what the heck a tarattle was. So then when I became a, a ventriloquist, it was years later I realized it was because they couldn't say parable without moving their lips. So they changed, they changed, they were talking about Jesus's tarattles. And I'm like, oh. So I just said, man, you know, I don't want to be that ventriloquist. You know, no. I want to learn to say anything and everything. And a lot of it, though, was, um, was my father would tell me I can't do something. And I, again, I was rebellious. I didn't like to be told what I can't do. So he used to tell me, um, he, it wasn't that he hated that I was a ventriloquist. He just wanted me to become a preacher with it. And I never felt the calling to be a preacher. I always wanted to be a comedian. And, um, so he would say, um, you know, there's certain words that you can't say without moving your lips. So it's just don't try to say them, just move your lips when you're saying them. And I remember thinking very clearly when I was about 15, I thought, that, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I'm just going to learn how to say it. So I would practice thousands and thousands of times learning how to say things that I could not say, so that I could learn, so that I could do it without moving my lips, just to prove him wrong. <laughs> oh, all right. So hold on. There was a question in that question, but I didn't get to the question. What was the question? The question was, um, oh, um, other than that, that ventriloquist that sucked at church, uh, who else had an impact on your spiritual life other than the guy we talked about last time who gave me a great two-hour interview before he died, Larry Norman? Oh, gosh, of course, Larry Norman. You know, um, I have to say that, that Christian music was, was my salvation. I, I, it's sad to say, but I probably, and, and I do truly feel this way, I probably would have committed suicide had it not been for Christian music because I was in such a dark place. My home life was so, it was, it was a dungeon. It was like, it was terrible. I, I, would, I, I loved being out, but as soon as I started, I knew I had to go home. Uh, it, it was like going into, it was literally like going into a hurricane. It was horrible. It was a, it was a sick feeling or something. I never knew if, I, if my dad was going to beat the crap out of me. One time he pulled a gun on us. 
uh, and told us that he was going to kill all of us because we weren't we weren't being obedient enough to God. And he would rather his family be dead than not serving God in in the way he felt we should. So it was a lot of fear and a lot of it was a horrible place to live. And I would lose myself in Christian music. And I think that also fed my love for God, though. And uh, of course, Larry Norman, like you said, um, but any of the of the Christian artists of that of that day, you know, Brian Duncan, uh, you know, Randy Stonehill, uh, uh, Petra, all, all those people were were just hugely influencing on me. And uh, as far as my Christian life, you know, uh, Francis Schaeffer, I did a lot of reading Francis Schaeffer when I was young. Uh, uh, Josh McDowell was uh, was a big one. Mm. Still do read those guys. I still do. C.S. Lewis was was huge. In fact. Um, I would also say that he saved my life just reading the Chronicles of Narnia and being able to transport myself out of that horrible world that I lived in and, and suddenly go to Narnia and uh, have this wonderful uh, lion Aslan that I could kind of identify with in a, in a way that I couldn't identify with this, this kind of God creature, you know, that, that I, I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And so, um, so those are the, yeah, those are big influences on me as a kid. You know, <clears throat> over the years I've, I've gotten to know uh, fairly well, both Brian Duncan and Randy Stonehill. And, and it's been really healthy for my, um, spiritual thing, which sucks. But anyway, it's been really healthy for me to see that these guys are whack jobs. I mean, they're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just like you know because we you back in the day like what you're a year older than I am we we used to put these dudes up on such a pedestal and that's our fault for doing that right no they, it really yeah but they're human you know it's like I find I find out like people like Rich Mullins you know oh my gosh what the the words that he wrote and Mark Hurd oh yeah and these people I did the same thing I put them on a pedestal and then you know when I got to know Larry Norman and I became very close with Larry speaking first of, of all, whack found, jobs he was he was a whack job. <laughs> And and I loved him, you know, yeah. and then he would tell me stories about Rich Mullins and Mark Hurd and they were they were wonderful, dear people, but whack jobs. You know, they were crazy, just just as crazy as I am, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's the thing is that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that we're all human beings. You know, the only, there was only one perfect human being and that was Christ. And the rest of us are just, we're just trying our hardest to, to do the best we can, you know, mm. and um, and I think we're all a little bit crazy. I know I am. I mean, I have. You know, I, I was just talking to my wife uh, uh, yesterday, and I was saying, "Babe, you know, thank you so much for putting putting up with my with all of the emotional issues that I'm still trying to deal with from my my past." You know, um, it, it's it's hard, but you know, you do the best you can, and you try to. The, the main thing is you try to leave the world a better place, and you try to make the world a better place, and make people uh, make people happier that come in contact with you. All right, just before we say goodbye to Terry Fader again here on the Drew Marshall Show. Thanks for tuning in, folks, by the way. Uh, Terry will be performing Friday, June 23rd at 9 p.m. at Casino Rama. CasinoRama.com is the website. That's where you go to get tickets for this young fella. Feller. Uh, TerryFader.com, F-A-T-O-R, is where you go to get all of the Terry Fader booty. Again, yes. that, that sounds weird. Make sure, that, make sure they know that if you anything that you purchase from me, whether it's online, whether it's at Casino Rama or at the Mirage, hundred percent of the money I make goes to help the military. So uh, I I do. I, it's just something I do, and it doesn't matter whether they're Canadian or American. We I I donate all of the money to help those who are injured 
and, and the children of those who who are killed in action. So okay, I'm, so, gl- I'm glad you cleared that up because when you said the money goes to help the military, I was like, are you, are you buying Scud missiles? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, it's to help those. You know, and and again, it's not it's not about country. It doesn't matter whether they're American or other. Uh, I just I just want people to know that you know God has blessed me so much in this, and I just feel like there's I have no desire to be a billionaire. I have no desire to sit on piles and piles of cash. So I feel like that you know. Um, that when people purchase items that uh, it's going to go to help people who need help, whether it's psychological or physical, you know, we're able to get uh, get things that, you know, help. We were able to buy a house for uh, for some uh, a, a guy who was severely injured uh, in Iraq and uh, he and his wife. And so it's it's incredible what we're able to do with this uh, with the money, so I appreciate people buying uh, merchandise. There you go, TerryFader.com. Terry, uh, again, just before we say goodbye, I just want to touch on the father thing one more time because, again, it's our Father's Day special. Ironic that your story ends up on our Father's Day special, and but it's <laughs> perfect because what drives me nuts is when um, I don't hang around people that think they live in a Hallmark movie. First, I want to slap them. Second, that's not real. Uh, and when we celebrate these days, I know there's great angst for so many people because they grew up with, yeah, I don't know, D-bags as fathers, right? It's just, yeah. ugh. So, so with you, um, I don't know how you're able to kind of summarize this, but I guess what do you say to those, you know, it's a typical interview question, but what do you say to somebody who's listening who's, who has, you know, they grew up with just a jerk for a father? How do you help them let it go? You know, uh, you just have to realize that uh, your life is your own. It, uh, it's not your father's. It's not your mother's. It's not anybody else's. They can't make you become or do anything. Uh, you are yourself, and you're the one who decides how your life is going to go. And you can do one of two things. You can say, oh, I was damaged, and therefore I'm going to damage others. Or you can say, I was damaged, and therefore I'm going to make sure I don't damage people. And I become a good person. So it's really, it's totally in your hands. And it, I got to admit, though, it really helps to know that God's on your side. <laughs> yeah, true story. True story. You know, it's just, don't you think it's weird that you grew up with a narcissistic father and um, and yet you are very aware of your own selfishness, your own, you know, and the business you're in and, you know, the sort of shtick that, that goes with what you do? Isn't that, do you not get scared that, 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 I don't know, something from your dad has leaked into you? Yeah, you know, I actually do. And, and there are times when it, it does scare me because I'll notice myself doing something or or uh, saying something that he would have done or said. And and I always use that as a learning experience and a lesson and say, ooh, ooh, yeah, that's right. You know, he tried to instill that in me and, I, and I'm not going to let that happen. And, you know, we all forget but the thing is, as long as we keep our eyes open and we stay in the light, um, you know, it's really hard for the darkness to creep in. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Really well said. I think we might hit it and quit right there. Uh, <laughs> well done. Well said, Terry Fader. Again, the website is terryfader.com. And uh, second time, uh, this was even better than the first. This is starting to sound weird again. Uh, but <laughs> it, uh, I, I kind of like you. And, and here's the thing. I don't give a holy grunt about what you do. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a guy into the into the thing into the stuff. I'm just. Eh, I'm not wired that way. But man, I freaking like you. Just as a well, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I like you too. Oh, stop. All right. <laughs> Romance is getting weird. Terry, thanks for your time, man. This was awesome. Uh, folks, stay with us. We got lots more coming up on the Drew Marshall Show.